Welcome to the Fast Bracket Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, it is episode number 21. It is the first week of September, and we will talk today all that was the big go the U.S. Nationals. Um, this is going to be an exciting show today. Um, but before we get to that, I want to thank all of you for listening in and being a part of Fast Brackets Nation. Thank you for being so involved in growing the show each and every week. Um, if you are just t- tuning in right now, maybe you heard me on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Maybe you are listening in on pure horsepower news, or maybe you just heard the buzz of the live show at Lucas Oil Raceway Park and are tuning in for the first time right now. Let me give you some advice. Give it three weeks. You will be hooked. You will get the vibe, and you will become a part of Fast Brackets Nation. It's got a little bit of kick to it. It's got a little bit different rhythm, but you will get it. Give it a couple of weeks. Uh, Also, I want to thank Bob Henry, Ashley Johnson, and Luke Bogaki for coming and getting out to the live show last week and being a part of it when it really, truly did not fit their schedule. I appreciate you guys. Uh, But today, we have an incredible show. It's the Big Go Recap episode for you today. Uh, Just like Letterman, who gets the winners of the Indy 500 after they win, We've got both winners from the very first Top Sportsman and Top Dragster U.S. Nationals uh, with us today. We've got uh, Larry DeMars. He is your first Top Sportsman champion. He is with us today. And we have Rusty Baxter, the Top Dragster champion. He is with us. Uh, cannot wait to get to those interviews. And I know you guys do too. Um, they made history, and they're both with us today. Uh, but before we get at it, you can follow us on Twitter at Fast Brackets. Do that. You can like and follow the Fast Brackets podcast page on Facebook. Um, but uh, do what you do when you listen. Mow the yard, make the commute, clean the shop, get in your rig, and get to the next track. Either way, metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on. Get strapped in because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put them in the water box. And we need to talk about the bump spots at the 65th annual Chevrolet Performance U.S. Nationals once again. And we do it because we had two of the fastest bump spots in history. And we knew it would be. We knew going in. We looked at the um, entrance. We had a feel for that, and we knew it was going to be the fastest bump ever. And it was by a mile on the top dragster side. Uh, 623 is what it ultimately shook down at. Um, You guys might know I predicted a little bit quicker than that, but uh, still blistering quick, a 623. Um, And it would have been lower, um, but and we'll get to this a little bit further here in the show, but uh, Al Kenny had a run that got thrown out. Looked like the timers didn't quite work. Um, he 
probably was on a 20 at the time, so that easily um, could have been lower than the 23. In fact, on the scoreboard at one time, it showed the bump spot as 620. Um, as it worked out, all 32 cars were within 1300th of a second. So if you're at home, blink twice. There's your spread. Um, it did not disappoint. Uh, we, we knew it was going to be incredibly fast. Um, everybody that showed up brought uh, the cannons and were ready to go. Um, it, it was just incredible to watch and uh, so fired up for everybody that was involved and part of that historic bump spot. Um, and truthfully, I've already heard people say, I'm not showing up next year without being able to run an 11. So as good as good of a 623 bump spot is, and we as history was made, next year is going to be even more ridiculous. So it, it's going to be incredibly fun, and congrats to everybody who made that happen. Uh, but uh, wouldn't be even be the show without mentioning that and just saying incredibly, um, incredibly fast and just simply wow. On the top sportsman side, they did um, – they, they got just as nasty. I mean, they got a new world record. It was a 673. So we've got uh, a half a second spread between the top dragster and the top sportsman guys. Um, they didn't exactly destroy the old record like top dragster did, but the cars were amazing. They put on an absolute show. And um, congrats to every single one who was part of that top sportsman history there. Um, secondly... Uh, the other hot topic that we just have to address, there was a timing issue. Um, Afton Swanson um, went red in the first round versus Peter Biondo. Uh, we already discussed the fact that uh, Al Kenny had a run thrown out because of the timing issue. There were also some super gas cars and a few comp runs that were reran because of uh, a right lane timing issue. Um, but I'm going to go on record and say uh, Afton legitimately got hosed on this one. And there are videos out there, so you can check it out. But uh, she staged up um, before she got on the two-step. She went red. And the car never moved. There's slow-mo video of it. Um, And the video actually shows that both stage beams go out at the same time, which is impossible unless – your, your wheel goes perfectly vertical up and out of the beams. Um, it did not. They were sitting – it was sitting right there. Um, and NHRA did not rerun that um, and apparently did not give a good reason why they didn't. Um, I hate that for Afton. I, I don't know her. I don't, I don't know anything um, much about her program. But she got a tough draw with Pete anyway. I mean – Peter is as good as they come, so uh, she got an incredibly tough draw that way. But to have that happen in the biggest race of her career, the biggest race of the decade, that was just terrible. And to Peter's credit, I understand that he was willing to make the rerun had NHRA made that decision, so uh, good on him. But uh, I would really like uh, you know the, those timing issues and to go away at that race and um, really feel bad for her because uh, her her whole day was shot um, without anything that she did. So um, we got we to gotta talk about those. So if you have thoughts, opinions, whatnot, um, get at me. 
Um, send a message on the Fast Brackets podcast page. You can hit me up at Twitter at Fast Brackets. Love to hear your thoughts. All right, let's put it in the beams. Brought to you by thisisbracketracing.com in the top sportsman lane. Um, he is your two-time Division Five Top Sportsman Champion. He is a three-time national event winner in Top Sportsman, including the Brainerd National Event winner two weeks ago and most recently the first-ever U.S. Nationals Top Sportsman Champion from Carroll, Iowa. Welcome to the show, Larry DeMars. How are you, Larry? I'm doing good. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on after your big, big win. Yeah, it's uh, it's been exciting. We're just trying to uh, take it all in. It's it was uh, it was a wonderful weekend and long week we we spent out there, but uh, it all paid off in the end. It absolutely did. Um, you you paid off big time by making history. Um, and Larry, let's be honest. You are incredibly hot right now. You've you've won uh, two in a row at this point, um, but. Was it always that way? You want to take us back and uh, tell our listeners how you got started in the sport? Well, we uh, we'd raced uh, the the super gas and super comp for uh, a number of years. I uh, I got back into racing about in the early '90s, and then uh, raced super gas and super comp, and we'd done that for quite a while. And then uh, around '07. Uh, early on when they started the top sportsman class, we just decided that uh, we were ready for a change. And so uh, we virtually took our super gas car we were running. I had a Corvette that I was running in super gas and we used that car uh, in top sportsman for a few years. We knew that that was probably uh, not going to be what, uh, what we would need because the sport was uh, progressing pretty fast and, and uh, we knew we were going to have to get a different car. And and uh, so we've been looking all along. And then we finally came up with this Don Ness Cobalt about 2012. And and uh, it's been a, just a spectacular car to race. Just a just a pleasure to drive. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's a cool piece. Um, it is. I, I've seen it. It's, it's a beautiful car. Um, do you want to walk us through the combo a little bit in terms of engine tranny? the whole deal sure yeah we uh we're kind of a hands-on operation uh we have a uh, auto parts store that we own and we have a a big machine shop here in iowa and uh so we build our own engines the engines uh it's a 747 inch uh engine that we built with a lot of brodex parts and stuff like that and then uh uh it is set up for nitrous and and uh, prior to uh, Indy, we hadn't used any nitrous on it, so we kind of went out there with a little bit of a challenge, but uh, it all worked out. Uh, Transmission-wise, we do our own transmissions also, and it's a power glide uh, uh, transmission, and uh, the rear ends also, uh, 9-inch Ford uh, uh, rear end in the car. So pretty much uh, that way we can kind of fix what we break, you know, so we uh, – we, uh, work on every part of the car yeah you keep saying it all worked out like uh you know you make history just every other day it's fine it just all worked out we just made history it's great <laughs> i love it <laughs> uh. yeah yeah it's just uh 
it just hasn't sunk in. It's just a dream come true to be, uh, you know, the, the, we weren't even in, we, you know, we had a, we had an accident, uh, with the car in Norwalk, uh, last year. And so we hadn't, weren't able to run any of the points races to keep our grading point up grade point average. So coming into this year, we were normally a grade eight, uh, competitor and we were a grade five. So I couldn't enter even enter Indy, uh, uh, until I remember what the exact date was, but with a division five or with the, uh, grade five. So, right. uh, I watched it every day and watched the people, uh, you know, getting in and getting in and, and it come down to two days before I could enter, it was full. Mm-hmm. And so I had just pretty much, uh, assumed that we weren't going to be able to go to Andy and it was on my list. I wanted to go so bad. And, and, uh, but I said, well, it would just have to wait until next year. And, and, uh, when we were in Brainerd, uh, racing up there, a, a good friend of mine, Royce Freeman with elite motorsports, um, they, uh, he came up to me and said, how bad do you want to race Indy? And I said, well, <laughs> Uh, you can't imagine how bad I want to race Andy. And he says, well, he said, we got a lot going on out there with the, with the pro stock teams. And he said, uh, uh, if you want to enter, I'm already entered. I'll, I'll back out and you enter. And so that's what we did. And we were fortunate enough to, to get in, uh, uh, to race Indy. That is awesome. I mean, you had to have a, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of help to get in. Um, and then, Let's let's talk about your week that was Indy. When did when did you leave Iowa? Well, we uh, the the week before the race, we knew we hadn't done any testing with nitrous, and so we actually went to a local track in Iowa, uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa, and they were gracious enough to allow us to to do some testing there on Saturday. Uh, uh, the week before. And so we tested there and I'm glad we did because we found some issues that we needed to correct. And, and, uh, and then we got up, uh, Sunday and drove to, uh, drove to Indy to get into parking. And so we were there, uh, Sunday afternoon, probably around, uh, two o'clock area. And then, uh, uh, spent some time there in line, you know, until we got to, <laughs> right. uh, uh, come in and park. And, uh, I had a good friend of mine tell me, he says, you're going on a camping trip. And he was right because, uh, it was just, it was a drawn out deal. I mean, it took a while to get, uh, to get in. We had some, you know, weather that influenced that a little bit. And so it took a while to get in and get parked and get settled in. And, and then, uh, it also influenced how the race went too, because, uh, you know, some of our, uh, uh, qualifying and and uh, the way the race was run, you know, it was just it just changed quite a bit from what we thought it would be. Yeah, and then you you talked about how you typically had not run the nitrous and you were experimenting with that. Um, and technically, you, we had three qualifiers um, and you didn't get in the show initially. How was that? And walk us through the process of you know implementing the nitrous program and then how you. How you get in the show? Well, we we started out. Um, we didn't know how fast we'd need to be. We were kind of guessing it was going to be a, uh, a very fast field, and so we started out a little conservative because we weren't exactly sure 
when we could turn the nitrous on and how, you know, if we could get away with that without uh, shaking the tires and stuff on the car. And, but, uh, so we kind of took a shot at it on our first one and we were conservative on the nitrous and, and, uh, the car went down the track fine, but it wasn't, it wasn't fast. It was like uh 687 or something like that, I believe. And, uh, so we come back and we said, you know, we're just, we're just trying to be too conservative. And when the car went straight, it did everything fine. Um, let's step it up a little and see what happens. And, and, uh, so our second qualifier was on uh, Thursday evening and it was cooling down. So we knew everybody'd be faster. And so it was one we really counted on to, to, uh, uh, try and do a good job on getting qualified. Well, we, uh, the car went down the track great, did everything fine, um, but we run a 76, a 676. So I thought, well, that might work, but that's going to put us at the bottom, and it and it did. Um, I don't remember exactly where we were sitting uh, on the sheet, but uh, uh, so the third qualifier on Friday, we knew we'd, we wanted to step up a little bit more, and we really thought that we could get a little more aggressive at the starting line. And uh, at the same time, we added a little more nitrous to the tune-up. And uh, the nitrous, adding the nitrous was a good thing. Uh, trying to get a little more aggressive at the start was not the right thing. <laughs> it, it shook the tires. And, and uh, it still run a 74, but we really figured it would run, you know, like a 670 or a 669, and it didn't do it. So... Uh, that had us really concerned and, and, uh, as it got down to the end, you know, we were hanging on to the 32nd spot and then, uh, Jerry Albert come up there second to last pair down the track and, and, uh, run a 73 and bumped us out. So, uh, it really, uh, it really was pretty devastating. We figured we'd come all that way and got that close and, and not, not made it happen. But, uh. Uh, fortunately for us, uh, uh, being the first alternate, um, uh, the, the, I think his name is Dylan Stott. Uh, he run one of the fastest passes he's ever made, but he hurt his motor. And, uh, so we were lucky enough to, uh, be able to get in and, and race in his position. So, uh, it just, <laughs> it was just one thing after another that allowed us to, to make it work. Yeah, from devastation uh, to elation, right? Pretty quickly. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. That's that's exactly what happened. And then, uh, and then, but now that you're in, now your mind changes, right? Okay, now it's a bracket race. Let's go to work. And it, it felt like as the race progressed, you got a little more comfortable with your nitrous setup. Um, your reaction times got a little um, more consistent and a little better just as you worked your way down because you had more confidence. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's exactly true. We uh, we started out. Um, we knew that our second qualifier that we did on Thursday night. We knew that tune-up was solid. I mean, the car, the graphs looked really good on the computer. Everything looked good, and then we knew it would be consistent there, so we went back to that because the rules say you can be within a tenth of the slowest qualified car, so we knew we could still run a 76, mm-hmm. and uh, so, we, so we went back to that tune-up, but the thing that got us a little bit in trouble was uh, the reaction of the car. When we stepped it up for, for Friday morning, um, 
we were 24 red on our qualifier, and so I was concerned about covering that for first round. And uh, after uh, after we went to run first round and we were late on the tree, we started looking at that and said, well, you know, with our other qualifiers, we weren't leaving as hard. We needed to back the delay box down a little bit. And then things started to come around after that. I mean, we, we got our lights settled in where they needed to be. And, and, uh, and then it started to happen for us then. So, uh, it sure did. Yeah, first round, first round, we were, we were, we were lucky. Uh, you know, Ed Foley broke in the first round and allowed us to get a pass in that, uh, helped us, uh, figure out where we were at. And then, uh, and then it kind of went from there. It sure did, um, and where it went was to the finals. Um, and walk us through your mentality as you're towing up um, for the final round at the U.S. Nationals um, for the first time ever. And I think it was about ten o'clock at night on uh, Monday. At that point, um, it was under the lights. Yeah. And uh, walk us through that a little bit. Okay. Well, we just. Uh... You know, the, the fourth round, we'd run a friend of ours, uh, Paul Pittman, and uh, we'd went 009 and, and uh, 677, just touching the break at the end. And, and uh, uh, so we knew we were pretty close, you know, with our, our uh, reaction time and, and that. And, and uh, Jeremy, my son, helps me all the time on the car, and we talked about it. And, and uh uh, we felt that the car would run a 75. Uh, it was, the track was still tight and it was cooling off and we figured, well, it'll run a 75. So, uh, I said, well, the 009, I don't want to give this rate round away. You know, a lot of people get so excited in the final and, and, uh, try and do something that, uh, uh, creates a problem. So we, we added a little more delay to the delay box. I said, well, it should be, we should be sitting around a 15. And, uh, uh, when we got up there, we were, we were 19 to his 21 and we went, uh, dead on 675 with a two. And that was, uh, that was, uh, <laughs> when I seen that wind light on, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that was a deadly run. Um, man, uh, you see the wind light come on and you realize you're the champ at the first ever. Um, who who all did you pull into the uh, the winner's circle pick with you? Well, basically we were kind of uh, by ourselves out there pretty much. So it was just my son and I were there. My, my wife usually comes, but she couldn't get off work. And my other son uh, lives in Colorado and he uh, – he couldn't make it, so uh, it was just uh, it was just us. But you know, we got a lot of sponsors that watch us, and and uh, uh, so it was just nice to it was just nice to get it done for them. Well, I know Jeremy does a lot of work on your car and is very very helpful. Um, but uh, you know, maybe maybe your wife will come next time you run a big event. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm hoping that's the case. <laughs> Next she time said, you run a big you know, race, Larry, maybe she'll come along. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she says you do good when I'm not there, so I'm staying home. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, Larry. Yeah. Larry, yeah. thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate you. Uh, congrats again on being the first ever top sportsman champion at the U.S. Nationals uh, and just in an incredible 
feet and uh, appreciate you walking us through that and telling us uh, how you got it done. Oh, thanks so much. Glad to be here. That was your historic winner in top sportsman, Larry DeMars, if you need him. Okay, well, let's put it in the beams. Brought to you by thisisbracketracing.com in the top dragster lane. A man who has won six Super Pro events in a row. A man who was number two in the Summit Super Series Points Championship. A man who has won multiple Quick 8 Series Championships. And a man who won the first ever top dragster u.s national champion uh championship from beckville texas welcome to the show rusty baxter rusty how are you thank you rex uh doing very good today a little tired but still plenty happy and and uh, and letting <laughs> letting it all sink in if you would i bet so i mean uh, what you did was make history as the first ever and uh i'm sure that has uh that's worn you out a little bit, right? You celebrate and then let it sink in. Oh yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a blessing to say the least. Uh, you know, we all went with the intention to win, but you know, the thought, well, I'm fixing to go win Indy. Well, you know, that's the plan, but we also know how things work out. So it was like a, a dream come true when it finally did happen. Absolutely. Um, we'll get to the week that was Indy here in a second, but uh, if you don't mind, could you take our listeners back um, and uh, give them a little glimpse on how you got started in racing and uh, you know how you got to this point? Well, uh, I guess in my earlier days, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of everything, but we worked and had steady jobs and and uh, spent our time camping and fishing and hunting and things like that. And then I met a friend, Brad Roberts, who was racing. And uh, my wife's brother was starting to get back into racing. And I wound up helping both of them off and on a little bit. And then I wound up going to the racetrack nearly every weekend there. And at, at one point, I said, well, you know, I don't need a camping trailer. I need a race car trailer. So (laughs) we just sold everything and switched avenues, you know? Yeah. uh, That's uh, pretty cool. Um, And uh, when, and so you were bracket racing for a a while. I know you've had some uh, real incredible success on the super pro side. Um, Has it always been dragsters or door cars or what was the, what was the tool back in the day? Oh, uh, well, I started with a 68 Camaro with a small block and, you know, we were running 1050s and, you know, it was just a, I'm going to just call a standard basic setup and, and it was a pretty good car. And then my wife's brother, Joe Saunders, when, uh, we started racing together, he had bought a car and, uh, <laughs> it looked out pretty good for me. I guess he bought it for himself, but he couldn't fit in it. So... <laughs> I got to be the driver, and and uh, well, that was a '69 Camaro, I believe, and we campaigned it for quite a few years in the brackets, and uh, tried to run it in Super Gas and and uh, Super Street some, but uh, it was hard for me to cut a light with that car. It needed, it probably needed a younger driver, but I blamed it on the car, you know. <laughs> I gotcha. 
Um, and then at some point you went to uh, the dragster and and yeah, um, I don't remember what year, but we uh, we sold that car and bought a dragster and and it worked pretty good for a year or two, and then we eventually built a new one. Dennis Hurst race cars out of Nacogdoches, Texas, built us a brand new car and. We ran it for a while. It was a hardtail, and then we went back and four-linked it, and I campaigned that car for years and years and years. It was a really good car. Um, and then uh, Danny Nelson, we were at uh, Dallas at the uh, Nationals one year, and uh, he was camped right across from us there, and I, he had that car that I'm driving now sitting over there with that for sale sign on it. And I kept looking at it and probably had one drink too many. And next thing I know, he's done sold me a car. <laughs> so I bought it, and here I am with it today. All right. That's the one. And, uh, well, you made the right decision for sure. Yeah, I think so. I uh, think so. You mentioned it's a Danny Nelson car. Um, walk us through the rest of the combo because it's a it, – it's a pro charger, right? But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a Scoggins and Dickey 540. And, uh, I'm going to call it their basic house motor for pro chargers. And, um, got Brodick's head, Elderbrock intake, you know, and just some of the basic stuff. It's, it's a pretty good piece. And, uh, the pro charger is a F1X 12. And a friend of mine, Jim Thorpe, had sold it to me. And those between Scoggins and him, they they helped me out there. I didn't have to pay top dollar for that, so it worked out. And that's what allowed me to go ahead and make the change from Super Comp getting in, you know. So gotcha. uh, transmission yeah. is, uh, you know, it's, I built my own transmissions back when I had that first 68 Camaro. I had a transmission problem. Took it back to a guy and had another transmission problem. I told my friend, Brad, I said, you know, we're going to have to learn to work on these things. We can't keep paying somebody and having problems. So I started building my own then, and so far it's worked out pretty good, and that's that's what's in it now is old home-built uh, transmission. I like it. I like it. So yeah. you've got the Racecraft chassis, you've got uh, your transmission in it, and then you've got the uh, Sidewinder Pro Charger power in that thing. yes sir um, the pro charger the sidewinders uh it doesn't carry quite the mile per hour that the uh, front mounted rig does and I'm, I'm not real sure why whether it's parasitic losses through the belt or what but uh it still works fast enough to get or quick enough to get to 610 so i don't guess i'm gonna worry about the rest of it right right <laughs> um well, uh, yeah, you've got a very cool setup there, and it's uh, it's what you have to have um, in today's world of top dragster racing. I mean, if you can't go six eleven, you're in big trouble nowadays. Um, but uh, when you go on the road for a show like the U.S. Nationals, um, who all comes with you, and who who all helps you? Well, uh, my wife Kay first off, and my son Jr. Uh, I guess they're the ones that are here directly with me. We've got other friends that we try to travel with. Uh, Michael Bailey runs Super Comp. Our friend uh, Robert Wynette Hudgens, of course, they're associated with Scoggins and, and the Thorpe family racing. We race with them. All of us try to run together, and we help each other, whatever it takes to uh, 
get through the day, you know. Um, there's many other friends, as you know, you know how the racing side works. Once you start all this, you don't just have one friend anymore. You've got friends all across the nation, you know, and it's, that's a wonderful thing too. It is so true. And, um, we see it all the time and what it's a great, great, uh, part of the sport. Um, but, uh, even though you have friends all over the nation, um, and what, well, when did you put the U.S. Nationals on your radar, and when did you enter? Because it's a little bit of a haul from Beckville, Texas. Yeah, and, and you know, Rex, that goes way back in my history. Uh, we had talked about it for years, even way back when we were running super gas and whatnot. And, you know, it was such an ordeal. We knew it was an ordeal to get here and to survive it. And, you know, we didn't always have the uh, tools that we have now. And uh, we just, and vacation time from work, first one thing, another, and we just put it off and put it off. And and uh, we had been talking about it for a couple of years, I guess, again recently. And then when NHRA came out and said, hey, we're going to do top dragster, well, I said, I'm going, you know. Uh, right. So we... <laughs> We all set our calendars and was setting on go. And when the entry level, entry date time came, well, we got on the computer and jumped in. So that was it. Uh, like I say, it's been a bucket list thing for many years. It just finally everything fell right to let us get in. Yep. Now that's uh, very cool. And uh, it was a good decision on your part to uh, put this on your calendar because you ultimately got it done. Um, but maybe walk us through um, – your week a little bit and uh, talk us through the first round as you as you stage up in front of uh, whatever fifty or sixty thousand people that are there at the U.S. Nationals. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty interesting, I guess. Uh, we uh, actually started out and going to Bowling Green, and and uh, we drove up. My wife and I drove up to there, and my son flew in and. Uh, then we raced, and Bowling Green was interesting to say the least, because we just—it just seemed like we couldn't slow down enough to get to six ten. We were under nearly every pass, and ultimately it bit him. He didn't get to qualify, and um, it, it, it ultimately got me too, because it's hard to dial when you're sandbagged that much, not by your own reasoning, you know. So yeah. anyway, we uh, got through it, Bowling Green, and turned around and headed up to Indy, and then we started that long process of setting out in the staging lanes with the other 500-and-something cars and still seeing them pull in and everything else. That was that was uh, nerve-wracking, I'll just say. it's a That's a long process right there. But mm-hmm. we suffered through it. Everything went all right. And, and uh, you know, you keep, keep it going, and next thing you know, after a rainstorm and a day or two, you don't get to race, and finally you do get to go to round one and uh i had a a guy that i had drawn and he was an acquaintance on the message boards anyway i never had met him before but i talked with him on the message boards and uh, he was in a borrowed car and and he'd already told me he was uncomfortable and i had my fingers crossed i said man maybe he's maybe he's uncomfortable just enough and I don't know for sure what all happened, but I got lucky there. He he blew the tires off and and uh, couldn't get down the track. 
luckily I didn't lift and let him come back around me. I have done that before, you know. So that first round worked out. It was, I guess, like they say, it was my day. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then did, as you went on, you got a little more um, confidence in thinking, hey, maybe I have a shot at this thing? Yeah, I was I was really messed up because uh, reaction times, I don't know what had happened, but they had fallen off on me, and I was nervous to take time out, and I got lucky, and, and uh, I did I did pull some time for second round, and it, and it worked. It, you know, it didn't throw out left field, and the guy went red on me, and, and uh, he was a little anxious, I guess, and, and uh, so that allowed me to get a, another chance at the tree, and lo and behold, round three, and the other guy goes red. I said, wow. I said, this this won't be pretty, but I don't mind going to the finals on red lights if I have to, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Any way possible, right? That's right. That's right. Um, and then and then you get uh, Peter Biondo in the final and uh, walk it. I made mention well, that it's kind of ridiculous. You were dialed a, a 13 and you were the slow car. Yeah, I know. That's crazy, <laughs> You know, actually, uh, even the round before Peter, uh, round four, uh, you know, Zach Fisher was driving our friend's car, Jim Thorpe. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I knew what his car was capable of, and I knew the kid was good. Of course, you know, he's, he, he's young, for one thing. That gave him a huge advantage. But I, I know, also knew that, if he kept doing what he'd been doing and he got in front of me, I was going to do my best to push him out and, and shoot at work instead of me letting off and letting him have room. You know, I stayed long enough, and that really worked out. And then we, we wound up in round five with Peter, and uh, I, I thought, you know, I think I'll pull some time out of my box. And then I, I got to thinking about, things I'd said and learned through the years. And one thing that I had learned first round, you don't pull time out. And the final round, you don't pull time out. You put time in. Mm. So I went back and put time back in my box and lo and behold, uh, he and I were pretty even on the trees, I think. Yes. And, uh, I knew he couldn't, he couldn't dial anything but six ten, And he, he was on at least a six Oh five, if not quicker pass. So I said, man, if he wants to take that strife, he's going to have it. And I got down there and like burnt the brakes off of that thing, trying <laughs> to stay behind him, you know, far enough to make him go out first. And lo and behold, I didn't know I was going to break out, but uh, it worked out. He broke out just slightly worse. It was a really tight race there. But Yeah, you, you know, uh... I, think, <laughs> I think being being as old as I am helped because I was never never able to get nervous during that whole deal. Yeah, you you've done this a long time, and um, it, obviously this race means a lot. But uh, but your your life goes on one way or the other, and you made it was I think it probably enabled you to make that decision at the top end, which is absolutely the right one, and put you in the history books, Rusty. Put you yeah. in the history books, man. Well, you know, every round, each one of us makes more than one mistake going down the racetrack. And it's always been my contention that the driver who makes the least amount of mistakes during one run is the one that's going to win the round. And 
luckily it was me that round. You uh, certainly did make the least amount of mistakes, and what that means is you were the first ever winner in the nastiest class going. Um, Rusty, congrats again for winning uh, top dragster at the U.S. Nationals and coming on the show to talk to us about it. We certainly appreciate it and um, uh, wish you the best of luck with the rest of your season. Well, thank you very much, Rex, and I can assure you (laughs) – I'm more nervous now on the phone with you than I was up there in the in the lanes. <laughs> nah, you absolutely killed it. And uh, again, thanks so much for coming on. That was the great Rusty Baxter. Today's half track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. Hey, we had Ed Harney on the live shows, and he talked about the mental preparation and focus it takes to do something that could potentially change your life. If you have something that is worth fighting for in the legal drag strip, give Ed Harney and DragRaceLawyer.com a call and stage it up. Hey, let's get to it. Let's talk about the U.S. Nationals. It was an incredibly long week. Um, Incredible, uh, very fruitful, but it was long. So first of all, I mean, if you've never been to the U.S. Nationals, um, you start on Sunday. Parking was a little bit of a mess because of some rain. Um, You start on Sunday and it took until Wednesday afternoon to get everyone parked. Let me say that again. They started parking on Sunday. I mean, I know it's a, a thousand cars, and that's tough, but that is an incredible amount of anticipation to have to sit there in your rig for a couple of days waiting on everybody to get parked. Um, you can't even unload at that point. So um, th- this whole week was challenging in that regard. Um, because once we got unloaded, they made qualifying passes on Thursday, two on Thursday. We talked about that on the live show. And then they made one on Friday. They went up to the staging lanes on Saturday, got rained on, hauled back to the trailer, and sat there. They sat all day. Saturday, waiting for the word that it could go, they sat all day. Sunday, did not make a pass. So at this point, imagine trying to load up, get to the staging lanes, put it in the beams for the largest event ever, the greatest one you've ever staged up for, and having to wait two days before you can do that. Um, I know that every single one of the competitors in both classes was wanting to race on Monday. Um, that's a big, big thrill typically, but I don't think that is really how any of the competitors wanted it. The stage was big enough. Uh, but to put it on hold was tough. Um, I did like this. I did like the fact that the fans that were there to see the pro cars got to see one full session in every single car on the property for Top Sportsman and Top Dragster. That I liked, um, but everything else was just tough on the competitors. Um, but let's get to it. Let's break it down. Um, starting in Top Sportsman, your number one qualifier going 6.15 with a 4 at 230 miles an hour. Um, Our guy, Lester Johnson from Cynthia, Kentucky, you knew he was going for the top spot. He did it. 6.15 is blistering. Um, And truthfully, uh, with his uh, Pro Charger, 
could have given the guys that were in the exhibition run for Pro Mod a run for their money if he wanted to tune that up a little bit too. So that was that's another interesting conversation to have. But uh, there were 38 cars that showed up to the biggest stage ever vying for those 32 spots, and the bump spot was a 673 with a 3. Jerry Albert snagged that one. Um, just outside looking in was Larry DeMars. Remember that name. Um, and um, then when Dylan Scott and Tommy Turner couldn't make the call, then DeMars and Monty Green were in the show. Um, and then your winner, Larry DeMars, um, at 10 p.m. on a Monday night after an incredibly long week. Larry in the final goes 19 dead two for a 21-pack Belver Brinegar is 21 in the tree and needs to be perfect up top. Larry DeMars is your first ever Top Sportsman U.S. Nationals champion. Congrats to him. It was an incredible race. They got it in all on Monday. Um, finished up late, but it was uh, a great day for racing and a great day for Top Sportsman. Um, on the Top Dragster side, it was wild. It was Completely nasty. We knew it would be. Your number one qualifier goes perfect. 6'10 with an O, Ross Larice. Um, just staggering the amount of guys that uh, were in that 6'10 range, 6'11 range. There were 36 cars there trying to get in. The bump spot, as we talked about, was a 623.4 by Al Kenny, who noted that he would have gotten in the top fuel show back in the day with that pass. Um, uh, but And that was the bump spot for a 32-car field. Incredible. Um, and your winner at the end of the day was Rusty Baxter. Rusty um, goes into the final against Peter Biondo. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, but Rusty, think about this. In the final is the slow car. He's the slower car. He leaves first, dialed a 613. 613, he's the slow car. He leaves first. Um, it's a dead heat off the line. Pete's a 14. Rusty's a 15. Pete gets there first. It's a double breakout. Uh, Pete goes 608 with a three on his 610 dial. Rusty is 6117 on a 13 for the win. So congrats to Rusty Baxter for winning the U.S. Nationals, being the first top dragster champion ever. Um, also, there was one other um, event, and we don't cover i don't certainly cover a lot of these one-off races but uh the yellow bullet nationals was held at cecil county dragway and we have a lot of yellow bullet followers out there so i thought i would throw a cactus at a few of you and go where the weak are killed and eaten um typically the yellow bullet folks um have a lot of heads up classes and it is certainly a different group at cecil county than in brownsburg that time of year uh, but they also held a top sportsman class, and 34 competitors showed up to get down on the eighth mile out there, and your number one qualifier uh, was Erica Coleman going 392 with a 9 at 193 miles an hour. The bump spot was a 524.7. My man, Mitch Haraldson, it takes the number 23 spot in his beautiful 37 Chevy uh, he goes 476 at 145 miles an hour. I know he's worked incredibly hard on that setup, so congrats to him. But ultimately, in the winner's circle was Mike Newman from Maple Shade, New Jersey, in his S10 pick-em-up truck. 
Uh, he is 11 and two over and mathematically eliminates Josh Eastburn in the final. So congrats to all those folks out at Yellow Bullet um, and especially Mike Newman for getting that win. Um, next week, we would have covered the PDRA uh, Galat event, but that has just been canceled. As we record this show on Wednesday afternoon, we just got word that they have canceled that event. Dorian got to them. Um, and just isn't going to allow that to get in. And apparently at this point in time, there's no other place on the schedule to make that up. So that event is canceled in Galat for the PDRA. We will also cover, assuming uh, no uh, Dorian uh, issues get north, we'll cover the NHRA Division One event in New England. We'll cover the NHRA Division Five event in Earlville, Iowa. We will also cover the Norwalk National that was rescheduled. So we've got uh, one event that was rescheduled because of weather early in the year, and we've got uh, one event that is canceled because of weather this weekend. So interesting that way. And at some point, I will get you caught up on all the divisional point standings um, here on the Half Track Report. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here just a little bit. And guys, girls, it was the U.S. Nationals, so there are a bunch of storylines that we could go with um, this weekend. Um, Do not at me with um, a bunch of storylines that you think were great. Eh, You know what? Go ahead and do it. Um, I'm just going to tell you two that were really important to me and I, I thought were very interesting. First of all... Uh, the final in H stock automatic was unbelievable. So stock um, the was a heads up final. Uh, both H stock uh, pulls to the finals. Um, it was one of the coolest things ever to have a final be heads up. Um, we we rarely, if ever, see that. Um, Austin Williams borrows a car and goes trip zip to win the U.S. Nationals uh, over Matt Entrebus, and it was awesome. Um, there were not that many fans there, almost zero at that point in time when they ran it, which was about 11 o'clock on Monday, Monday night. But uh, it was cool as can be to watch those guys pull up, trying to keep the cars cool, um, barely turning them on, pushing them as much as they could, and um, knowing that it is heads up for the U.S. Nationals Championship. It was just a cool sight. We rarely see that. It's one of the beauties of stock and super stock is the heads-up version of that. And we got to see it in the final of the Big Go. At least I did. I was there. It was very, very cool. Um, Secondly, the other thing that really has my head uh, turning a little bit, and that is that the NHRA is taking over the real Pro Mod next year. So they made that announcement over the weekend. And if you know, um, follow much on ProMod, you know that the RPM, or Real ProMod, has historically booked the show. Danny Rowe and crew, uh, they put it all together, and they put the entry list together, and they organize their show for the ProMods. Um, and that comes with a hefty price tag um, just to be a part of that group. Um, it's not exactly a country club, but that's kind of what you do. You have to join that. Um, and NHRA has let them do that experiment, and it's proven now. And now that it is ready for prime time, NHRA said, okay, we'll take it over now and we will run with it, which in general terms is a good thing for the sport. It's a good thing for Pro Mod. 
That being said, let me tell you what I am a little concerned about. So um, given that um, what NHRA does and, and their feeder system, um, do they bring ProMod to the divisional events and have an eight-car field much like they do Top Alcohol Funny Car and Top Alcohol Dragster? Um, and if they do that, does that thin the crowd at PDRA and Midwest Pro Mod Series events? And if that happens, does that limit the opportunity for top sportsmen and top dragster at the PDRA and Midwest Pro Mod events? Time will tell, but that is definitely something to track uh, on the NHRA and Pro Mod scene. All right, it is time to take the stripe, guys, girls. That is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 21. There it is. Look up. There's the wind light. Producer Rob is playing Gloria. All is right in the world. Thanks so much to Larry DeMars and Rusty Baxter for coming on. They were fantastic. Um, those champions are in the history books now um guys you can get your fast bracket nation t-shirts um just they they look great they are incredibly comfortable um and you will be part of the in crowd you'll be part of the nation uh they're 28 25 and you get a fast brackets podcast decal as well for your car toolbox whatever just dm me um on facebook or twitter and i'll ship it for free discounts for quantities or orders of three or more um hit me up guys i hope you enjoyed it please do what i wasn't able to do this weekend which is keep the rubber side down and travel safe Man, did you uh, really wreck your car? I did. Um, got my own fuel and put it on its lid. Sounds expensive. Incredibly expensive and incredibly disappointing. So, yeah.